0: I have been trying to figure out how to open this talk. Um, I thought about doing something funny, but it didn't really seem to work with our subject matter and so let me simply uh, do it like this. For the next three weeks, we are going to focus exclusively on death. And I have to tell you, when I tell people that, they, like, they, they, like, physically react. Like, why in the world would you talk about death? And it, it is shocking. Because we will all face death at some point in a number of different ways. And yet to talk about death in a a real, meaningful way seems to be taboo, like we we cannot go there. Um, But we have to, because you all are going to experience death in many different forms. And so what, what what I want us to do for the next three weeks, the next three Wednesdays, is I want us to look at how we as Christians can and should respond to death. And as we go along through these weeks, they're going to get more and more practical, but for tonight, we really just need to lay out a, a theology of death, uh, which is a, a fancy way of saying, what does the Bible tell us about death? And I, I want us, from the text we're going to look at tonight, I want us to see three things about death. Death is an intrusion Death is inescapable and death is defeated. Okay? So, do y'all remember uh, in in The Lion King near the beginning when Mufasa is taking Simba for his walk and like all the things the light touches is yours, type of thing? But part of the way Mufasa explains life is he says that everything exists together in a delicate balance. Like, Like when lions die, their body becomes grass and the antelope eats the grass, and then in turn, the lions eat the antelope it's the circle of life isn't it beautiful and the implication behind his explanation is that death is is natural dare i say a good part of life but that is not the picture that scripture gives us of death to to see what scripture says we actually have to put two passages together to see death fitting into The created order. So we have to start in Genesis 131 which tells us that everything that God made it was all very good. There was nothing wrong, broken, defective, everything that God made was good. And if we take that passage on its own out of context you might think that death is good too. But death wasn't a part of God's original creation. If we were to hop over to Romans chapter five, verse 12, we would see that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death wasn't part of God's original creation. Death was brought into God's good creation whenever man sinned. Now, an important question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Why did man's sin bring death into the world? Why, when Adam sinned, did death come rushing in? Well, when Adam sinned, he rebelled against God. He basically gave God the finger and said, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to do it my way. He, he separated himself from God. Uh, But here's the thing, God is the source of life and goodness and flourishing, and by alienating themselves from God, they cut themselves off from life itself. See, physical death is the outward sign of our eternal separation from God. Uh, In other words, death is simply the physical manifestation of our real problem. That we are alienated from God, which is not how we were made to be. Death is an intrusion. It's an interruption. Death is the great enemy, and death is coming for you. Death is coming for you. Ecclesiastes, uh, in chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, puts it like this. Everyone shares the same fate, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the ceremonially clean and unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. What happens to the good person also happens to the sinner. There's folly in their hearts during their lives, and then they die. Death is batting 1,000. It doesn't miss. Death comes for us all. And, and though we don't typically think about this reality, especially you, because you're young, you're healthy, you've got your whole life in front of you, it, it's still our reality, And it should prompt us to ask the question how then should we live? In light of the fact that we will all die, how should we live? And there are typically two answers that the world gives us to this question. Uh, One answer is be good. You should be a good, moral person. But look, you're going to die. So why would you want to waste your time serving others and attending church and, and, and obeying someone else's rules? Even the Bible admits that, that if death is the final thing, then don't be religious. Don't waste your time doing that. If you only have 50 or 60 years left, then go enjoy, eat, drink, and be married because you're going to die. So, so that's not an acceptable answer. It's not a good answer, frankly, if death is, is, is the final thing which is why the second and more popular answer that culture will give you to this question is that you need to make the most of your life. You need to go out and enjoy it, because every moment is precious. Do what makes you feel good. That's, that's the way to live your life. Get the most happiness and satisfaction that you can. Here's the problem with that, though. Have you ever thought about what your last meal might be? Like, like if you were on death row and you could choose the, the contents of your last meal, what would it be? And, and I've asked some of you this question before, and typically uh, people are like flying in French fries from Alaska or, or pizza from Chicago. They've got four course meals with all this delicious food that makes them happy. But I have a theory, and the theory is this, that if you're going to die, if you know you're going to die in a couple hours, all of your favorite foods will not bring you any happiness or comfort. I would wager that you actually won't even have an appetite. Why? Because your impending death drains all the satisfaction out of the meal. What does it matter if you have the best steak of your life? Because in a few minutes, you won't be alive. See, here's what I'm trying to say. The inevitability of death robs our lives of any meaning or significance, which might be one of the reasons that we don't talk about death because it's too depressing to acknowledge the futility of our short lives. And yet Paul says something very interesting in the text we read to start things off. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he instructs the Corinthians to stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words... Your life does have matter. It does have meaning. The things you do matter. How, how can he say that if he knows that death is coming for us all? It's because Paul understands the third thing that we need to grasp about death, and that is that death is a defeated enemy. If we look back at our text, 1 Corinthians 15, starting about halfway through, Uh, Verse 54, Paul declares that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is basically taunting death, the inescapable enemy, saying that you no longer have any power. You have no sting in my life. And verse 57 tells us why. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus... That death no longer has power. And, and here's how he was able to accomplish this. Hebrews 2.10 tells us that it was fitting that, that he, referring to God the Father, that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder, or perhaps better translated, the champion of their salvation, perfect through suffering. See, Jesus entered into our reality as our... Champion. He went up against our greatest foe and won. And and if you've spent any time in church, you you probably know that. That that he won by dying on the cross. But but here's why that worked. Okay? On the cross, Jesus doesn't just deal with death. Because remember, the substance of our problem is not death. The substance of our problem is that we are separated from God. And what Jesus does is he deals with that on the cross. Remember remember when he's hanging on the cross, what does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he saying there? God, why have you separated yourself from me? In Jesus' death, we see him face the substance of our problem head on. Jesus confronts our alienation from God, and gives himself to overcome it. Through Jesus, we are rejoined with God and his life. That's why Paul can say that death no longer has power or sting. It's because Jesus dealt with the substance of our problem. Therefore, death is a defeated foe for the Christ follower. Now, you, you might be thinking, but but Caleb, Christians still die. How then can we say that death doesn't have a sting? And you are, you are right. Uh, Christians do still die. The, the mortality rate hasn't changed. But, but let me ask you this. Would you rather be run over by the shadow of a semi-truck or run over by a semi-truck? shadow. That's a, that's a no-brainer. And that's what death is now for us. As followers of Jesus, when we die, it's like being run over by a shadow, because the substance of death, our separation from God, tried to run over Jesus, and it failed. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't pain or grief that comes along with that shadow, with death. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about how do we respond when death shows its ugly face. Uh, But but for for tonight, I just want us to realize that our response flows out of the fact that death is not the end. That because of Jesus, we can live with purpose and joy and hope in this life and the one to come.